the podcast is in two parts it's largely in the first part a conversation between vishnath and me a conversation which looks into the vice of our practice the nuances of our home sansosi and ends with meta thinking on the way the cities are planned along with the talk is a ppt which is anecdotal of our lived experience during covid-19 times in the postscript i delve into how i see architecture of the future two great crises confront the world in our times the crisis of social inequality and poverty which is exacerbated by the difference in income that people earn in various strata of society and the crisis of environment as represented by climate change but also by the destruction of natural resources and the pollution that we have created around in the world now pandemic puts both these crises in the spotlight what sars cov2 or covid-19 has done is to challenge the very notion of architecture and so i ask yes. you how do you think your practice has responded to the crisis over time and even now so what we are looking at architecture is to go beyond making of spaces aesthetic spaces which is as required but looking at the challenges of water and energy and making a system which is ecological so what one says is that the personal is the political in your system of design and if we look at the social processes of architecture and the environmental impacts of architecture how would you describe sans souci the house that you have designed in 95 first aspect we noticed was how are we going to build the space and where are we going to get the material to build in this search we decided we'll make a basement and we took the earth out of it and built a walls and part of the roof also with earth so in that way we were and kind of free of trying to get walling materials and roofing materials from elsewhere it all happened at the site but also what it brought about is that the skill levels of people were projected as something which is so much nicer than it getting covered in plaster and paint and then we looked at the future with people having higher skills and getting better so what payment. comes first does design come first or the choice of materials come first it is not so separate so design and systems for example material and structures and infrastructure have to work together together yes they have to work together yeah so you have to think of it at the same time in the era of covid we talk about physical distancing but social connectedness 
we find that high density populations suffer to maintain that physical distancing. What do you think is the appropriate space that an individual requires in the context of Bangalore City? I would look at the space required in terms of the ecological resources the person would consume. So we say is 40 square meter per person with respect to getting enough drinking water, enough sunlight for energy requirements, enough space to take care of the waste generated and also provide for food and biodiversity. So if you look at the five principles that you elucidated, water security, food security, energy security, something called waste security, in which the waste generated by an individual is consumed as locally as possible. And finally, the act of biodiversity security. How is that reflected in the design of San Susi? When you look at the ground floor plan, it has two bedrooms, a toilet and a kitchen and a living area and a basement too. So it looks quite normal. Let's work on water security first. How does this building generate water security? So for to understand water security, we have to go to the roof. And we collect all the rainwater falling on the roof and we store it in an underground tank after filtration. Besides that, what we have done is to provide a very clean roof which collects the lifeline water. We, it is our term, lifeline water. And that's the water which we use for drinking and cooking throughout the year. Without any treatment? Just a simple filter. Right. And how does that work, the lifeline water? What have you done in San Susi for that? We have the staircase roof, which nobody walks on and no plants grow there. So it is the clean roof. We connect, collect the water into a tank through a filter, which is in fact, just a piece of cloth to keep the dust away and then get it connected to the kitchen where we again put it into a smaller filter to remove the dust and other smaller materials and... How much uh, rain actually falls on the city of Bangalore and therefore how much water are you able to harvest? It's about 900 mm a year in Bangalore and so we are able to harvest on our rooftop of, of 900 square feet about 80,000 liters a year. So the 80,000 liters, how does it last you the whole year? It lasts us about nine months in a year. But because there are 60 rainy days, so it's intermittent, we, kept, we keep getting it replenished. One of the challenges is to reduce demand for water. Yes. Traditional water demand is calculated as 135 liters per person per day, but you've been able to manage to reduce that demand through various systems of sanitation and recycling. Can you describe that? Yes. So what we have done is designed for the place or the, or the system which 
takes the most amount of water. That is the grey water, which comes from our washing machines and our bathing. So collecting the grey water and treating it again on the roof with plants. Ideal place to treat for us in a small plot is the terrace because that's where we get the maximum amount of sun. So it's treated on the terrace and it's collected and used to flush at the lower level and also for all the garden uses. So that has reduced the total demand of flushing as well as of uh, landscaping. Further to it, we've added a dry toilet on our terrace. What we call a urine diverting, desiccating toilet, which is also a composting toilet. Composting toilet, Ecosan. It's also called Ecosan, which is the abbreviation for ecological sanitation. It has, it's designed as the way the waste, urine and fecal matter come out from the body. So it, there are two compartments where the urine and fecal matter are collected and they're used as soil and a fertilizer. So you've turned the toilet into a fertilizer factory? Yes. How does that ensure food security? Because the human waste is full of nutrients, so it can be used to for the plants to grow food. And where are the plants grown? Now that was our biggest problem. It's a 1,500 square foot plot and 900 square foot built up with the underground tank and the steps, etc. It was very little space that we had as garden. So where do we bring our land for growing food? We brought it onto the terrace. We have a good technology to make good RCC structures. So it's best that they become the receptacle for the soil which we have lost due to construction. So you've replaced the top soil that you had to build on the site and you've put it on the terrace. On the terrace, yes. And on that terrace, what do you grow? On our piece of land on the terrace, we grow rice and ragi. And in the pots, we grow various kinds of vegetables. And there are the large pots which have avocado, lemon, moringa, and rita plants. Right. So it takes care of the basic nutrition security. How is energy security ensured for the house? Energy security through the solar photovoltaic systems, solar thermal, and also we have a small water heater called Gujarat boiler, which uses the waste like coconut uh, husk, coconut husk and coconut Shell. uh, shells and paper, which we use to heat water. So it is possible in theory and in design to be able to generate all the energy requirements of a house from something like a 40 square meter per, per person. Yes. Finally, how do you arrive at a waste security? In the times of COVID, disposing of human waste or waste from the kitchen is always a challenge. How do you ensure that that is taken care of? 
So as we talked earlier about the treatment of grey water and uh, the dry toilet, so those two were tackled. But now the kitchen water. Kitchen water we are collecting in the sink and transporting it to plants outside. And the kitchen waste? Kitchen waste is composted. And then used? For plants again. On the terrace? On the terrace. And finally, how does this link up to biodiversity? What kind of biodiversity is observed on the terrace garden? So today, I observed two blue Banded bees. bees on the terrace going from one chili plant to another on the different flowers. So, and then there are birds on the terrace. Insect biodiversity loss is being portrayed as one of the great under the radar tragic losses that our planet is suffering from. Is your terrace functioning like an insect biodiversity hotspot? Yes. You have uh, bees, butterflies, and... Uh, How do you allow for insects to proliferate on the terrace? By creating a flora which is all mixed of different kinds of plants. Including what are called weeds? Yes, reeds, water and yeah, weeds also and also reeds and also spaces with water. Weeds seem to allow for a lot of flowers which the insects love but we tend to see weeds as a nuisance and try and take it away. Should there not be space for what is not needed by human beings for their daily consumption but simply for insects and birds and biodiversity on the terrace too? Yeah, and it's very important and and they should be there because they are there. It's not because we need them. So the president of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew, at one point of time had mentioned that independence from neighbors or a community tends to build arrogance. We need to have dependence on the community to a certain extent to make sure that our response to the community is one of humility, yes. not of arrogance. Yeah. Should not self-sufficiency at a house level be tempered with some dependence on the community? Truly. And what is this community dependence that we need to create? You have mentioned that the workers who built the house had their skills upgraded and got a fairly decent wage. That is one sense of community that architecture yes. can bring. What are the other senses of community? The other sense of community which happens in this kind of a house are in because it's on the ground floor, you can walk out. Walk out? What you mean to say is that social interaction is important as much as physical distancing and that independent houses tend to allow for this as yes. opposed to flats and apartments where you cannot carry out this exercise. Yeah. So and therefore, there's some lesson to be learned in terms of the density of development and how cities should grow. Thank you for letting us know about Sans Souci, the architecture and the experience of it and also to let us know 
that in times of pandemic, architecture has a central role to play in making sure that we live as a civilized society and thrive. Thank you. The postscript is we give a small definition of our practice, and besides that, we also delve into what could future cities be. We define our practice as designing of ecosystems than of spaces alone. This involves that we go beyond the spatial and materi materiality and engage with the biosphere. Our belief stems from accepting human beings as part of nature who build positive inserts and not parasitic ones. This certainly is a very tall order and we have placed our visions high, but we feel it isn't an impossible task and is the future. We therefore are much invested in cities and as Saskin says, our cities have to be a third space, neither fully urban nor fully of biosphere, but having biospheric capabilities. Imagine a city with biospheric capabilities and invested with Baker's philosophy of frugality. So we need to move from short-term economical-driven agendas to ecological-driven ones. It doesn't mean that we go back to nature, but we have to be staying in the city and actively engaging with it. We are luckily in this juncture where we have huge scientific, technological and architectural knowledge where we can foresee future. So the future cities need to be bioengineered ones. I end with reading from the book Climates, Architecture and Planetary Imaginary. And in this, there is lady, lead, lady called Lydia Calipoliti, who's written about Graham Kane, an architect from UK. Graham Kane's Dirty Physiologies. Graham Kane's ecological house or street farmhouse built in London in 1972 is a striking illustration of how architecture intersects with climate change. In his diagram, Kane portrays himself and his family as guinea pigs in order to test the function of several components of the house. He experimented with his waste, his cooking habits and his use of water, monitoring closely every activity of daily practice until the day the house was demolished in 1974. The architect, therefore, was an indispensable biological part of the house he built and he portrayed himself as a combustion engine for generating electricity connected to the house in a diagram where excretion becomes a vital constituent of the system's sustenance. Describing his house as a life support system, Kane satirically argued that the architect being involved with the house biological cycles might now relate to his own shit. This illustration of the dirty physiology of the body which is woven into the ecology of habitation is far away from contemporary illustrations of climate change depicted in statistical surveys. Commonly, environmental concerns promote a conservationist ethic and a list of cautionary daily practices of scarcity. 
we tend to think of human waste as a phantom material condition related to the management of urban resources. Yet, it infiltrates the air and water we breathe. The exclusion of the body's physiology from contemporary environmental concerns does not allow us to construct a more nuanced perception of climate change and to motivate behavioral changes. As Kane shows us, nevertheless, to effect change, one needs to get involved and dirty in architecture production. End quote.